Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let us pray. We thank you, God, for this opportunity to gather here as your people. We ask that you bless us, bless this time, and bless this world. In Jesus' name, amen. An, a reading from Julius Caesar, scene one, act two. Cassius is speaking to Brutus. I know that virtue be in you, Brutus, as well as I do know your outward favor. Well, honor is the subject of my story. I cannot tell you what, and other men think of this life, but I, for my single self, I had as lief, not as live to be. I in awe of such a thing as I myself. I was born free as Caesar, so were you. We both have fed as well, and we can both endure the winter's cold as well as he. For once upon a raw and gusty day, the troubled Tiber chafing with her shores, Caesar said to me, Darst thou, Cassius, now leap in with me into this angry flood and swim to yonder point? Upon this word, I encountered as I was, I plunged in and bade him follow. So indeed he did. The torrent roared, and we did buffet it with lusty sinews, throwing it aside and stimming it with hearts of controversy. But ere we could arrive the point possessed, proposed, Caesar cried, Help me, Cassius, or I sink. I, as Aeneas, our great ancestors, did from the flames of Troy upon his shoulder, the old Anchises bear, so from the waves of Tiber did I, the tired Caesar. Does anybody have a clue what that means? Yeah, I didn't think so. Yep, we all studied it, didn't we? Julius Caesar, Romeo and Juliet. Um, there, there was also Macbeth that some people studied, Hamlet. And when we were in school, we had to learn these things, or at least learn about them. I won't, I'll never forget, a, a few years ago, I was helping my, my youngest daughter as she was learning Romeo and Juliet, and she was almost in tears, said, Daddy, I don't understand any of this. Well, honey, not many people do. That's why you have to study it. But it still doesn't make sense, does it? I mean, we all did learn it, but look, I'm 47 years old, and from the time I could speak, I've been speaking English. That is supposedly English. I ought to know what that stuff means, what it says, but I don't. Do you know who understands Shakespeare? Three groups of people. Number one, English teachers. They understand Shakespeare because they got to teach it to other people. Number two is people who have spent a lot of time reading Shakespeare. And number three, people who understand the King James Version of the Bible. How many of you have and often read the King James Version of the Bible? A couple? Good. Because it's what you grew up on, right? Uh, you know, you, you've been reading that your whole life, and, and so King James English makes a little more sense, you know, dost thou, uh, although some of the words in there I still don't know what they mean, but it, it sounds a little more right, but for me, they weren't reading the King James version of the church when I came around, not in the Lutheran church, and so the, the truth is, it's very difficult to understand, <laughs> but let's be honest, the Bible is difficult to understand, isn't it? I mean, all right, so I, I minored in 
Christian education and theology in college. I went to seminary, got a master's degree in, in divinity and religion, and I've got an office full of books on my shelf to explain a lot of them what the Bible means. Each book of the Bible has its, I mean, I have multiple books on each book of the Bible to help me understand so that I can help you understand what the heck the words of Scripture say. Because it is very confusing, isn't it? But it's not just the Bible that's confusing. Our faith in general is difficult to understand. I mean, you know, how many times have someone tried to explain the Holy Trinity to you? The Father, Son, Holy Spirit. How does that work? I've said it here multiple times. If anyone ever tries to explain to you, run, run away as fast as you can. They don't know what they're talking about. Because we can't understand. But after all this time as followers of Jesus Christ, as disciples, as people who come to church, there are some things that we ought to know, don't you think? And yet, we don't. We fail. Because some stuff, it, it's, whether it's just, it's veiled to us or we just don't get it. And it stands in the way of us and our relationship with God. See, for a long time, that was the case with Martin Luther. Martin Luther, um, as most of you know, was born in the 16th century. Well, actually, he was born in, in the 15th century. And after losing a bet with God, he became a monk, which is also a priest, just, just so we're clear. And he really struggled with his faith. Not in the not in the idea of believing, but in the idea of the fact that we have a loving God. You see, for Martin Luther, it was his understanding that we were supposed to be good and righteous and holy, and that that's who God accepted. Because if you weren't, then you were punished, and you, then, then you were destined to the fires of hell or at least many, many years in purgatory. And so the way to overcome this was, for, for him being the good Catholic that he was, he would spend hours a day going to confession. And as soon as he would leave confession, he, he would remember a sin that he had forgotten and go right back in to confess. In fact, his father confessor said, Martin, every time you break wind, you come in here and you confess it to me. He, not only did he have a hard time loving God, he had a hard time not hating God. Because he felt that God was just this huge guy on a judgment seat waiting for him to mess up. He couldn't understand how, how this God expected perfection from imperfect people. He couldn't see how a loving God would do that. Well, he struggled with his faith mightily, as I said. And so at, at his as monastery, he was sent away to Wittenberg, Germany, where he would study and teach. And for the first time in his life, he was able to read scripture. Now, this was a clergy person, realize, and for the first time he could read scripture because it, it, only, it was only for the very, very rich, like kings and princes, or very big cathedrals, or seminaries where he was. So he opened the word of scripture, and he came to Romans right around... Where, where our reading came from today. And so what I want to impart to you today, my friends, if you walk away here with nothing else, is an understanding of what Martin Luther 
realized that day, which is at the very heart of what it means, in my opinion, not just to be a Lutheran, but to be a Christian. And it's here in these words of Romans. See, St. Paul writes that, he says, that all those are, are, who are under the law are bound to the law. And what he's talking about isn't just the Ten Commandments. He's talking about 613 mitzvah, 613 laws that they were expected to follow. And if you didn't follow, then you would make God angry. The only way to please God was to follow these rules and regulations. And so what Paul said was that no, through Jesus Christ, you've been set free from that. Because he says, look, all, no one is worthy of God. He says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, you've heard the phrase that's kind of popular these days in churches, all means all. Let me tell you one other thing that it means. All means we have all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. No one's sins are worse than anybody else's. Nobody's sin excludes them from the list of sinners, and nobody's sin lists them, uh, it kicks them off the list of being loved by God. Because what, what Paul says is, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But we are justified by grace apart from works of law. And that's what it means. That, that is the heart of our faith. But how many of us, it's like Shakespeare, isn't it? For we are justified by grace apart from works of law. Do we understand what that means? I didn't think so. Because those aren't words that we typically use a lot. So I'll, let me break it down. To be justified means to be made right. To be able to be in a relationship with someone else. That's what it means to be justified. And so through Jesus Christ taking on the punishment of all the sins that we commit, you and I have been made right with God. All the things that, that may have gotten in the way of that relationship have been taken away. So it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you will do. It doesn't matter how bad you are, how unrighteous you are, what kind of crummy person you may be. Because Jesus Christ gave his life, none of that matters. And why? What makes us recipients of this? Why does God give it? Is it because we've made a decision? Is it because we've prayed a certain prayer? Is it because we live our life a certain way? No. It's because of God's grace. And I like to think of grace this way. God felt like it. Why does God give us his love and mercy? Because God wants to. It's not because of who we are, not because of what we've done. It's simply because God loves us so much that God wants to, to make us right. God wants to be in relationship with us. And so God knocked down any barrier in our way. So we are justified. We're made right with God by grace because God feels like it. Apart from works of law, apart from anything we do. Nothing we do can earn our way into heaven. Nothing we do can make God love us more than God already does. That is at the heart of what it means to be a Lutheran. But more so, I believe that's what it's at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. We have a God who loves us so much that he sent Jesus Christ to save us. And what that means is that all the sins that we have committed and will commit are forgotten. They're gone. 
You have been made worthy. And God chooses you to go and share that with the world. That's the craziest part, isn't it? See, today, as we talk about Martin Luther, when Martin Luther realized this, he wanted, he wanted everybody to know about it, but there was one huge thing that was standing in the way of this. The Catholic Church, which he was a part of. And at the time, they believed in purgatory. Well, they still do. Which is the place between heaven and hell that you go to purgatory to basically work off your sins. But there was a caveat. There was a way out of this at that time because they were raising money to build St. Peter's Basilica in Rome where the Vatican is, right? And so what they would do is if you would buy an indulgence, if you would make this small contribution to the church, you could knock off years for yourself or your loved ones in purgatory. And so you could literally buy God's forgiveness. Well, Martin Luther had, had come upon this, that no, this isn't what, something that we earn. It, it's not something that we pay for. It is by grace. It is a gift from God. And so what he did was, on October the 31st, 1517, he nailed 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg, Germany. It wasn't like a protest. It wasn't like this big here I am. No, it was, that was the bulletin board. It was the day before All Saints Day because that's when everybody would be showing up. And he just wanted to talk about it. But you don't mess with the church's money, you know? And, and so through this, he was excommunicated. He was thrown out of the church. And, and it seemed like that would be the end of the story. But the gospel message was so powerful that it lived on. And that's why you and I are here today, because we understand that God loves us no matter what. And that's the message that needs to be proclaimed. That is the message that we still need to proclaim. You and I have been transformed by the waters of baptism so that we can continue to reform the church. God still chooses fallen, broken sinners to, to give that message to the world. And how do I know that? Because I'm standing up here telling you. Look, I mean, we've been together now for what, six years? You figured out by now that I ain't perfect. I mean, my wife's there. She'll tell you. I mean, far from it. I'm worse a sinner than probably anybody here. You know, just ask any of my school teachers. But the truth is, God has called this fallen broken sinner to proclaim the message to you and if God can call me God can call all of us because nothing that we could have done nothing that you could have done nothing that you could do will separate you from that love you have been saved by God's grace you are justified you are made right just because God wants that relationship with us all we have been justified we have been transformed so we can reform we can change the world that needs to be changed. And that, my friends, is the good news that we're all called to proclaim. Amen.